So let's begin Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first 14 verses in this chapter. The word of the Lord says in verse 1, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from amongst you all the men who followed Baal at Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear of all the statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest you depart from, from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my word, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near, and you stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, Wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And you heard the, the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at the time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Lord, we ask you, to bless the reading of this word. And as we hear the word, Lord, that it will penetrate our heart and mind. Lead us, Lord, in paths of righteousness. Lead us to holiness. Lead us to be your people who lift high the banner of Jesus. And the nations around us will scratch their head and wonder. Because we will have a peace that passes all understanding. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. title for the sermon today, if I was to put a title upon it, would simply be, These Commands Are Good. The commands of the Lord are good. But today the church faces a villain amongst many. Today the church faces a villain that has invaded many local congregations. This villain is so ugly and it is so distorted that a banner and warning must be raised. 
This toxic villain is harmful to the growth of the body of Christ and will diminish our collective vision as a church. It is so broken, it is so distorted, that unless we become aware of His presence, it will forever mar the growth and mission of the church. This multi-headed monster might not even be on your radar. This villain to the church might not even be on your radar. It's not a physical beast. It's not an animal. It's not a cryptid. But it is a way of thinking. And you might say, well, preacher, what is this villain that you speak of? And this particular villain on this multi-headed monster, and the villain of the church is what is called individualism. You might say, well, isn't being an individual a good thing? It is a good thing. In terms of how we bring it into community. Individualism, in this sense, is the habit or principle of being independent. Independent's not a bad thing, as long as we bring it into the corporate body of Christ. Or to be self-reliant again. But here's where it turns south and becomes villainous. When it becomes self-centered or when it becomes egotistical. What does modern day uh, individualism look like? Well, how dare you tell me how to live my life? How dare you tell me what the Bible says? I can think for my own. This way of thinking undermines community, which is the church. And by the way, community, as I say it this morning, I'm talking about the local church. We got a wonderful community around us, loving people in this community, but the community that I'm speaking of is the local church, specifically Piney Grove Baptist Church. And this toxic thought, it elevates self over the collective group. But what does it look like in the local church? It takes the shape of this radical preference-driven thinking and actions, where it's my way or the highway. Individualism would look down on the commands, even in Scripture, and say that they are infringing upon one's right. And by the way, there are people who say that they are Christ followers that see the commands in Scriptures as overbearing. God have mercy. That is a false understanding of God's command and an inflated and radical sense of individualism where the Word of God can't even speak to you. Or when you think that the Bible is about you. The Word of God is not about you. It speaks about you. It speaks about me. Doug Ponder, who wrote for the International Mission Board, He had this to say of toxic individualism. He said certain thoughts and habits and societal incentives have permeated our culture with imbalanced tendencies towards autonomy, self-sufficiency, and perceived uniqueness. He calls this an unholy trinity of individualism. Is it good to be an individual? Yes. Is it good to have some self-sufficiency? Yes. As long as it does not infringe upon the body of Christ. As long as it does not attempt to tear down 
what Jesus said that we must do, and that is go and make disciples. So today, we are going to look at the commands of the Lord. Do you know in the Bible, in the New Testament alone, there are 1,060 different commands? We, call, we would call them in the Greek, we would call them imperatives. There are 1,060 imperatives that are given. And not to speak of the Old Testament that has 613 laws, whether they are ceremonial or civil laws. And not to mention the commands that we saw last week that said, go this way, go this way, don't go that way, stay on this path. So I would say there's probably close to 2,000 some different commands in the totality of Scripture. Moses is addressing this new generation. And he is pointing them to remember the commands of the Lord. And he will demonstrate that they are good commands. The Lord's commands are to prosper his people. To bring them peace and to bring them shalom. And by the way, our peace today is found in Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He is our shalom. He is our treasure. He is our everything. But while I will challenge you on two things about the Word of God today. Number one, I will challenge you to familiarize yourself with God's Word. You know, the very reason that you're sitting here hearing preaching today is sometimes we need to be reminded of things. I need to be reminded of things as I read God's word. It's not just because the, the elders of the church are on the payroll of the church. It is because we need reminding of God's word. We need to saturate ourselves with what the Bible says that he commands us to do. What does Christ say to the church? What does he say to us? What has he commanded us to do? And unless we know what he says, unless we familiarize ourselves in God's word, we will take this route of radical individualism. Familiarize yourself with God's word. Verse 1, chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord the God of your fathers has given, he's given to you. All right, now one major lesson that we learn in Hebrew history, particularly in Deuteronomy, is looking back to move forward. So, so think of it like that. Hebrew history looks back to move forward. Now it's good that we look back. It's good that we remember the past and, and the people who are in the past. We learned about Lottie Moon. We learned about that offering and, and how we stand on the shoulders of missionaries like Annie, Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon and many, many others. But as we look to the past, we don't stay there. We don't long and yearn for the glory days of the church. We don't look and, and long and, and wonder what happened. We need to be consumed with, with, with the here and now and, and what's going to happen in the future. We talked about that last week. Moses was a good leader because he was worried about the future of his people. So much of Hebrew life is remembering and looking for God's promises to come to pass. Do you believe that God's promises come to pass today? Well, they have. They're, they're scribed in the Word of God. I know many in here today, under the sound of my voice and those who might be watching live, I know that there are people right now that you can think of who, who have helped lead you to the Lord. 
Do you know that person who led you to the Lord? Do you know that person that shared the gospel with you? Can you think of that person who was a faithful Sunday school teacher? I'm thankful for our Sunday school teachers who come and teach the word of God, who are faithful to, who are faithful to teach, even through uh, the pandemic, who are faithful to open God's word and, and, to, and, to, and to help us to learn. I'm grateful that there are some people who helped us lead us along the way so that we might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for them. And in many ways, these verses become a prologue to what is called the Shema. Now, the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 that says, listen, or it says, hear, O Israel. And it's not, it's not by you know, saying here that we just hear it, there is an action behind it, meaning that we hear what the word of the Lord says and then we act upon what it says. So that, as James would say, that we are hearers of the word and also doers of the word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. And in this verse 1, chapter 4, the same word is used. To say, listen to the statue, same word, hear. There's some action here. Not only just listen and hear it, but do them. Why? So that you might live. Now, in that one little statement, that you may live. We see the motives, we see the heart of a loving and long-suffering God who, com who whose commands are so that we might live. So to keep God's commands and to move towards a place of peace or shalom. And through history, we quickly learn that we cannot keep the commandments of God perfectly, can we? If there's somebody here today who says, I live under the Ten Commandments, the second follow-up to that would be, I fail all the time. There's no way. And so shalom or peace or the commands of God are wrapped in Jesus Christ. So let's think about the commands. If one wants to grow in their walk with the Lord, they must observe His Word. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, not to forsake to meet together. Then guess what? We need to meet together. You know, that's a command in Scripture, by the way. That's an imperative. If the Bible says that we are to meet together, then we must meet together. Because what happens when we don't meet together? We become weak, we become anemic, we become thin-skinned, we tend to drift from God. Do you think that you can live this Christian life on your own and in your own power? I need my brothers and sisters pushing me and prodding me along. Now the scope of this whole discourse and teaching from Moses is to encourage them to keep close to God in His service and to not forsake God for any other small g God. And that might look the same for us today as we are encouraged to follow God close and clean. But I would say nobody in here would say, well, you know, there, there's another God on the horizon that I might be following. No, but we have many, many idols. And we can cast them away and serve our Lord. Keep close to God, serve our Lord Jesus And at the end of James, it would say, and cast away all idols. So look at verse 2. 
You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from, take from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord God, that the Lord your God has commanded you. And if only people who claim the name of Jesus would cling to these words, I believe we would do much for the kingdom of God. And you might say, well, preacher, I believe in God's word. But it is sad today how many people claim or say things that God never said or commanded. People who say they're Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, Christ-loving people who say things that, that God has never said. Do you, do, you, do you know how terrifying it is to say something and purport something that God has never said? To issue a decree or to say something authoritatively as if God said it. For instance, you know I'm going to pry a little bit, don't you? For instance, did God say or promise that, that we would be happy? Did He say that? We would be joyful. Where in the Bible does it say that we would be without trial or tribulation? Does it say it anywhere? The only time that we will be without trial or tribulation is at the eschaton or the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus even said you would suffer persecution for my sake. When you stand before leaders, don't think of what you might say. I'll give you what to say. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we will be without trial and everything will be a bed of roses. Where is it in the Bible that says cleanliness is next to godliness? Here's one. It's a popular one. How about this? Our loved ones are looking down upon us from heaven. I said, I love my dad. He passed away in 04, 2004. I don't want my dad looking down upon me. Why would he look down upon me when he can look up upon the face of Jesus? Why, is he why would he be concerned about this mess down here? It might make me feel good that my dad might be watching over me, but I want him to be watching and consumed with the person of Jesus and not me. Why would I want him to look down here on this sad, this sad life? I mean, it's good to maybe think, hey, I'm, I want my dad to look down on him. I want him to be consumed with Jesus forever. I'm not saying, I would never say, well, he deserves to be in the presence of Jesus. The only reason he's in the presence of Jesus is because of Jesus. It makes us, it helps us to cope. The most loving and caring thing would be for our loved one to be in the presence of Jesus and not be concerned about what we're doing. Sorry for that side note, but the answer to that is you will not find that anywhere in the Bible. But we add things to our faith all the time that are not in Scripture. And the reaction to what I just said to some folks in here, maybe, I don't know what you're thinking, but with a crowd this 
this vast, I would be sure that there might be one in here who reaction to what I just said highlights the danger of individualism. That would say, who are you to tell me what to think about heaven or God or my loved ones? And may I tell you that I am no one. I don't stand upon the authority of, of Pastor Larry. I don't stand upon my authority. I stand upon the authority of God's word or the things that Bible, the Bible does not say. And I'm sure if you're a student of God's word, you know by now, Revelation 22 and verse 18, that would say that I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add the plagues of this book to them. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, that God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And by the way, the totality of what, what John the Revelator is writing about is not just consumed in the revelation. It is the full revelation. In short, it is a fearful thing to say things that God has never said. And so, I don't know about you, but I don't want to put that to the test. Not a chance. But what we can put to the test is what God has already done. Amen? But God has already done. Has he, he has demonstrated His power. He has demonstrated to Israel, to us, His power over the men who followed Baal at Peor, recorded in Numbers 25 and 31. And in case we're not familiar with that, there was a lot, a, a real a horrible um, narrative about the sexual immorality of, of Israel. Listen to this. Numbers 25, beginning at verse 1, it said, While Israel lived at Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked itself to Baal at Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you, Kill those of his men who have yoked themselves, bound themselves to Baal at Peor. And what we find in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 4, your eyes have seen. This is, what it, this is what they saw. The Lord your God destroyed from amongst you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Now Moses spent most of his time in chapters 1 and 3 reliving the history of these wilderness journeys and even highlights it here in points. But he is always pointing to the providential hand of God. He is always pointing to God, God's hand providing and being the active part to play in people pursuing holiness. You, do you know why we pursue Jesus? Because he first pursued and loved us. Keep his commands and flourish. Willfully disobey and perish. Willfully disobey God and your bones will be as bleached by the sand and the sun of the wilderness. In a telling picture, the cost of 
self-sufficiency, sin, and, and doubt. And certainly, certainly a spiritual parallel. So Moses is speaking to the people much like a loving father would to his children or a loving, or a loving grandfather. Knowing that his days are numbered, he wants them to prosper as they follow the commands of the Lord. And there's a reason that God gives commands and statutes because if you go this way, you'll flourish. And if you go this way, you'll perish. Stay away from that which is harming, not to mention the commands in Scripture are a direct reflection of the holiness of God. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? I mean, follow His Word because He said so. I, I remember, you know, my children and yours too, you tell them to do something and they said, well, because I said so. You ever heard? Yeah, right. And sometimes we would explain, well, you don't do this because there's consequences. Well, we were talking about the holiness of God. When He said so, He has the right to just simply say, because I said so. I'm sovereign. He said so, but listen to this. He is infinitely holy and we are not. We are set apart by the work of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are called to be holy with a small h. And yet God is holy, big H, infinitely holy. And when he says so, so Moses is here like a loving grandfather, guiding, this is the word of the Lord, stay away. Speaking of grandfathers, I remember this incident, and I was probably about five or six years old, and um, I always used to hang out at my grandfather's house, and he had a lot of equipment out back, a backhoe, and all these things that would capture a young boy's imagination, five, six years old. But he also had an electric fence around his property. And he would say, listen, they would call me Glenn. Glenn, don't get to this fence. It's got electricity going through it, and it will shock you. And so an inquisitive mind, as I would have at that age, I would throw grass on it, throw leaves on it, expecting something poof to blow up, and saw nothing happen. And so my little inquisitive and sneaky self decided that I was going to put it to the ultimate test. Now let me ask you this. What do little boys do when they do not want to go inside to use the restroom? Let's just say, let's just say this. I have never, nor will, I will never do that again. But there was a warning to keep, stay away. And the commands of the Lord are similar to that. They are throughout all of God's word and they are for our flourishing. And what I mean by that is as we flourish in Jesus. And ultimately for his glory. Living out our days for Jesus gives him glory. You know that? They are not for our harm. So familiarize yourself in the commands of scripture for growth in him. And then, and then, let others see your faithfulness to God. Let others see it. He says, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. 
And as I stated last week, Moses was a great leader. He represented the Lord well. He wanted, he wanted to make sure that he admonished the people to stay close to the Lord our God. I, I remember people in my life over and over who invested in teaching me the Bible and then would take the time to make sure that I stayed in it. I hope you have someone in your life that walks close to you like that who can encourage you to stay in the Word and to walk with the Lord Jesus close and clean. What a great day it is for them to be alive and to start a new life together and to obey the commands of the Lord. What a great day it is when we give our heart and life to the Lord Jesus and we begin to saturate our life with fellowship from other believers and getting in God's word and staying close to our brothers and sisters as they lead and guide and direct us. He says, keep them and do them for they will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of all people. They will hear all these statutes and they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What great nation is there that has a God like us who is so near as our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, he's there. Whenever we call upon the Lord, he's there, isn't he? He's not far in distance. We don't have to cut a jig to get our Lord to respond to us. We don't have to dance around a pagan fire. We don't have to make sacrifices in that regard to get our Lord to hear us. He's always there. He's close and he's present. He's near to us. What a great nation they are. They have statues like this. That's rule is so righteous. Israel was revered as a people whose God was powerful but also a people of many failures. I was reflecting upon this proclamation of what the nations and the people say of Israel, and it made me think this. The nation, what did the nations say about Israel? But then I began to think, what do unbelievers, uh, unchurched, say about Christians? What do unbelievers say about us? Now here's what I found. I just... Picked a random article, reputable source, mind you. And whether people are parroting some of these responses is not clear, but the article was published in Christianity Today. And the findings are a little shocking and sometimes probably not shocking. It said a full 72% of people interviewed that's, that said, how do you view the church? A full 72% said that they saw the church as full of hypocrites. Now, again, some of these people might be repeating things that they have heard and heard them say, but is it true? You might say, well, life is full of hypocrites. Does that give us a pass? Again, some of these people were probably repeating things that they've heard. The findings go on. A majority of unchurched Americans, which is 79%, think that Christianity today is more about organized religion than about loving God and loving people. So their perception is we're more concerned about the order of service. We're more concerned about how our building looks, the color of the carpet. We're more concerned whether or not we have programs that will reach our community. And those things are important, but the Word of God is central. Christ is center of the church. And not all these other programs and all these other things. And so, are they right? They're more concerned about organized, established institutions instead of a movement of God. 
86% believe that they can have a good relationship with God without being involved in the church. 86% said that they can have a relationship with God without coming to church. And so my next follow-up question would be, well, how do you define a relationship with God? And if your relationship with, with God is devoid of Jesus Christ, you can't have a relationship with Him. So I want you to think about that. The world thinks that they can have a relationship with God without being involved with the church. And yet we have people who claim that they have a relationship with Jesus who don't come to worship. Now, when asked how they see Christianity today, 44% of unbelievers said this. They get on my nerves. Amen. I get on my nerves. <laughs> Said They get on my nerves now, again. Is it true? This is the perception. Here's something that is hopeful and yet telling. Listen to this. 78% are willing to listen to someone who wanted to talk about their Christian beliefs. And I've heard it said that most people will come to church if, if somebody would simply ask them. But this is totally different. If somebody wanted to talk about Jesus, 78% said that they're willing to listen. Then it goes on to say only 28% of adults 30 years and older said that they think Christians, they th that they talk too much about their beliefs. 28%. Only 28% talk too much about their faith. So let's think about it. Let's put it all together. Think about it. Let's put it all together. So the world sees the church as Full of hypocrites, annoying, and not willing to go above and beyond to tell others of their faith. Did I get those st statistics right? Now, Moses' heart here for the people is to flourish and to leave a lasting legacy that points people to God. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 9 Scanning the history says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him, that is Jesus, who called you out of darkness into light. This is the history of God's people. The world needs to see our affection and dedication to the Savior. Jesus did not command us to go out and continually grumble about gas prices or the state of the world. I, I, I mean... I don't like $4 a gallon or whatever it might be, but Jesus didn't call us to go out and blast it all over social media about how gas prices are so high. Listen, I know gas prices are high. He didn't call Christ followers to that dynamic. The Great Commission did not say go and make people realize how destitute our culture is. We don't need to be told how destitute and fallen our culture is. We already know it. But what did he say? He said, go and make disciples. And we will never draw people closer to Jesus with these ideas floating around in the church. We are ambassadors for Christ. We must be vigilant. We must not be weak. We must not be thin-skinned. We must be strong in the word. And we must represent Jesus well. Changing the culture has nothing to do with changing policies. It has everything to do with changing hearts. And then lastly, teach the future generations the word of God. 
Teach future generations the word of God. And in closing, only take care and keep your soul diligent, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and you will not depart from it all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth and that they may teach their children. So, so I'm convinced that people today have lost their reverence for God. There is a lost reverence for the holiness of God. And do you think that I'm speaking about the unbeliever? No. That's what they'll do. They're expected to do that. I'm talking about people who will, who's supposed to be followers of the Lord Jesus, who set, even right now, who set, who listened to the word of God, who said, yes, amen, you're right, and leave and return to the same state of sin that they came into this building with, as if the Lord is not there. Philip Pullman, the author of Northern Lights, he coined the phrase Christian atheist. And you might say, well, that sounds to be an incoherent, uh, uh, incoherent title, Christian atheist. What is that? The idea is the person, or the idea that the person has who claims to be a Christian, but in practice acts as if God does not exist. Tell the future that there is a God who expects holiness. Expect or teach the children that sin bears horrible consequences. Teach our children that there is a Savior who died on the cross for the sins of the world. Teach them that this same Savior was buried in the tomb of a rich man, but on the third day rose again. Teach them to follow the person of Jesus until their last dying breath. Teach them that the Lord Jesus is returning. And then teach them everything in between to the glory of God and for the edification of the kingdom of God. I need my children to know that God has commands to steer us from harm. And you came near and stood at the mountain that burned with fire, to the heart of heaven wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Sounds like a scene from Mount Doom. This was the place where the Lord gave his commandments. He spoke out of the midst of fire. You heard the sound of his words. You saw no form, only the voice. And then he declared his covenant. And he commanded this to you in the Ten Commandments. Write them down. He wrote them down. He gave them to him on two tablets of stone. And the Lord said, commanded me at that time, teach these statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. And what Moses will do here soon is recite the, these commands to this new generation and how important it is to teach our children the solid teaching of the Bible. I hear this saying all the time. It's well-meaning, I know it is. Well-meaning. People would say the children are the future of the church. And I hear that all the time. And you know me, I like to pry a little bit and dig a little bit. And although I do believe the children are the future of the church, it's not just the children. But ultimately, the children are not the future of the church. Jesus is the future of the church. I know people in their 40s and their 50s and earlier on who came to know the Lord and somehow they're not the future. Now with all that said, it's important to pass on the word and to live it out, get this, in all generations.
I'll be the first to tell you, I probably fail the most at trying to disciple my house and to do it well. I probably don't live up to the standards of Scripture to discipline my children well, and I am repenting of that today. In fact, I know we have communion before us today. I'll ask you if you will. Let's stand together. I'll ask if uh, Danny or Sandra will, will play softly and tenderly. And I know we had deacons assigned for communion today as well, but we're going to take communion. But listen, I just feel led to do this. As I've been working through this, I'm coming to the altar. I'm coming to the altar. If someone wants to stand and lead, they can. And I'll invite you to do that too. If you want to pray for our children, our youth, for Pastor Jason as he leads, you are concerned about our youth who, have, who bear a tremendous burden today. I'm coming to the altar to pray. And if you would like to come and pray and join me, come and join me. If y'all will play, I'm going to pray and invite who all would come. Let's, let's join around this altar and pray and lift up our generation and all generations today. Would you join me as we pray? Let's come.